This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. 3,300 years ago or so to Egypt. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about how little the Middle East has changed over 3,000-something 30, 30, years. It's amazing. We're still in Egypt. It's a different Egypt. It's not the same people because it's the people were taken away by Sanacherib, who the Talmud says scattered all the nations around us. But the same places, the same names, you know, Mitzrayim, Egypt is here. It's our neighbor, our biggest neighbor. And you have Syria. Yeah, Syria has always been there. Syria, we always had trouble with Syria. In Lebanon, we had good times in Lebanon when, you know, they helped uh, David Amelech and Shlomo Amelech build the Benedictus, the first temple. And uh, we've had bad times in Lebanon and we're having another bad one right now. now. Okay, so it's a little interesting how Little, how little the Middle East has changed. Iran, Persia has always been around. The Babylonians, you know, the Iraq, uh, you know, all these troublemakers, has been around for ages, thousands of years. Middle East has not changed. The change, the big change is that we're back on the scene. We are back on the scene and we're having the same problems with the same people over and over again. Anyway, I want to go back. I want to go back to last week's parasha because last week, uh, Vaera is linked to this week's parasha. It's one, really one big unit. Vaera and Bo are one big unit. And we have the 10 plagues in Vaera and Bo. And right at the beginning of Vaera, I want to read to you this pasuk, which is hanging in my brain. Just keep repeating it in my brain. Hashem spoke to Moshe and he said to him, Ani Hashem. Now, that is really meant to hit us hard. Hashem said to Moshe, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. And this is something which is just ringing away in my brain. I am Hashem, I am Hashem, I am Hashem. What does that mean? I am Hashem. By Rad Abraham and Isaac and Yaakov, I was known to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as the God of limits, the God of boundaries, El Shakai. This is the name on our doorpost, this is Zah, Shakai which is limits. We want uh, the bad things to stay outside the house. We have limits. Shmi Hashem, the name, my name of Yudke Bavke, a powerful name. The forefathers never knew this name of Yudke Bavke. Rashi says, the forefathers knew me as the God of promises. You, Moshe, and your generation are going to know me as the God of fulfillment. Yudke Bavke is the God of fulfillment. Ani Hashem, I am the all-powerful uh, the one who is above time, and no, nothing can stop me. I am the all-powerful. You are going to know me in a way that no one else has ever known me before. You are going to know me more than your forefathers who were great prophets. But you and your generation are the lucky generation. You're going to know the true face, the true power of Hashem, the power of Hashem, which we want. We need so badly to see today. This is really, wish we could see this, and but the best rabbi Hashem, these these parashiot, when we live in these parashiot of seeing the power of Hashem, seeing the power of God, we should see the power of God in our lives. I've seen many cases in my life of Hashem's, thank God, benevolence to me. Thank God many times Hashem has opened the doors for me and Hashem has been with me. And, thank, and we have to really appreciate what Hashem does. The trigger to get more blessing is to thank constantly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Hashem. And especially if you can see it and notice it. We have to try and notice it because Hashem likes it when we notice it. Hashem likes it when we notice it. And we thank Him and we appreciate because gratitude is the secret of getting more. Rabbi Zal says, 
if you are grateful, you say a bracha to Hashem, that triggers more energy. The brachot trigger energy. We have to give thanks many times over. Thank God. Uh, with all the bad situation around us, we have a strong army, we have a strong navy, we have a strong air force. And we have these sadikim, these righteous people who are on the front lines fighting for us, fighting for our safety. It's a miracle. Thank God. Hashem should give them more strength. We even have a guy from our shul, Hillel, uh, Albert's grandson, Baruch Hashem. Somebody became such a big gibor. He's a gibor. Hashem should protect him wherever he is. And everyone else who is fighting over there in Gaza, Hashem should protect them. Hashem. And show us his power. This is what Hashem is saying at the beginning of Parsha Vayera last week. He said it's one big, uh, it's one big section of Vayera and Boa, Ten Commandments. So, it, and also Jeff Warren, his son Yosef is also in war. We wish him also Hashem should protect him. Everyone, Hashem should protect all our soldiers who are really Moshem Nefesh. They are giving their strength for Israel, for us. It should be a Kiddush Hashem. It should be a real Kiddush Hashem. See them fighting brave Jews. The whole world should watch these brave Jews fighting and how they go into the war with gusto and all their strength. Anyway, we'll see now. Bezrat Hashem, we will see as Moshe and the generation coming out of Egypt saw Hashem as Yitke Vavke, the God of power, not just the God of promises, Kel Shakai, but also the God of power. And this is what we're going to talk about, the God of power this week and next week. This, the two parashiyot Bo and Vayera uh, Bo and Beshalach, oh, when they cross the sea, we see the power of God again. So we are going to see the power of God in this parasha with the Ten Commandments, three in this week's parasha of Bo and seven in last week's parasha. We're going to put it all together as one big unit. Okay, so in Vayera, Moshe Rabbeinu has two missions. He has a mission to B'nai Israel. Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, tell B'nai Israel to leave Eretz Mitzrayim. And he has a mission to Paro, tell Paro to let the Jews go. So there's a double mission over here. One mission is to B'nai Israel. And one mission is to Paro. And unfortunately, the mission to B'nai Israel fell flat. And we have, we have to discuss this. It's a big discussion. Why? What was the mission to B'nai Israel? Let them go was the mission to Paro. Tell them, let them go. But the Jews themselves did, want, did not want to leave. The Jews themselves, the Torah tells us, did not want to leave. And this is the first Kalva Homer in the Torah. The commentaries say, and the Talmud says, the first Kalva Homer in the Torah, which is, if the Jews do not want to leave, how can I get to make them leave. You know, that's Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, reaction to Hashem's uh, command, tell the Jews to leave and tell Paro to let them go. How can, how can Paro listen to me to let them go when the Jews themselves don't listen to me? So anyway, we have to discuss this, but let's discuss this and think about it all the time. Ani Hashem, Hashem is saying, I'm the God of power. I'm the God of power. I'm the God of power. It should reverberate in our brain. Hashem, you're the God of power. Ani Hashem. Let's read the first halakha in Shulchan Aruch. Let's read it together. So the first halakha in Shulchan Aruch is Yigaber Kari Get up like a lion to get up and serve Hashem in the morning. That we should be the ones to arouse the dawn and not that the dawn arouse us. This is a good one for people who pray at nets. This is a good line for those giborim like uh, lions who can get up early in the morning. I'm not on that level yet. Let's run Hashem. I'll get there, but at least Depends on the time zone. And if you live in England during the winter, you definitely, we were <laughs> Highland Park in the winter, we were praying before nets. It was a no-brainer, right? You get up in the morning and you're praying and it's uh, 6.30 in the morning at a minyan. 
and Nets is around 7.15. So no brainer, you're praying before Nets. But that's the first halacha and shulchan aruch. And then there's an interesting remark. Ramosh Isolis, the Ashkenazi commentator on the Shulchan Aruch, they both live at the same time. Rabbi Yosef Karo and, and Ramosh Isolis were living in the same time period after the expulsion from Spain in 1492. Rabbi Yosef Karo leaves as a 13 year old and he moves uh, first to Turkey and other places, Bulgaria maybe, and eventually ends up in Spain. And there he writes his Shulchan Aruch. And the Rama in uh, Krakow, in uh, Poland, is also writing his book. And uh, whatever. So the Rama was a Sadiq. He was a real humble person. He he was ready writing his book. And then he saw the Shulchan Aruch came out first. So he said, I'm not going to write my, my own book of Halakha for Ashkenazim. I'm going to write glosses. Glosses on the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch of Rabbi Yosukaro, where Ashkenazim differ from Sephardi. So this is what he writes. So this is Shulchan Aruch, Ramah in small print, not to be confused the two. And the Ramah over here says an amazing thing. Shiviti Hashem tamid hu klal gadol betorah. Putting God's name in front of you all the time is a very important rule in the Torah. It's the way of the righteous to walk in front of God. There's no single person alone in the house. We always have to have in the back of our mind. Every single Jew has the back of mind. Ani Hashem. What does that mean, Ani Hashem? I am God. I'm with you wherever you are. I'm with you everywhere you go. This is something which we have to try and remember all the time. This is a very important rule, is to remember all the time Hashem is with us. Hashem is with us. Hashem is watching us. And now I want to go to the gloss, which is the Mishnah Brewer, Rabbi Chabetz Chaim Brewer, a glass, your commentary on the Shulchan Aruch and the Mishnah Brewer, which is a clear Mishnah. And he brings down one of the beautiful works in Judaism is the Sefer HaChinuch. He quotes the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch is written in the middle, uh, middle Ages of Spain, in the Golden Age of Spain. Now, we don't know till today who that author was, but we have our uh, suspicions. It was, it was one of the Pakudas, one Bachia ibn Pakuda, or someone like that, that generation. And he was a great man. He wrote Sefer Achinuch, the book of education. He writes for teenagers who have nothing to do on Shabbat. They should read this book. <laughs> so it's a book of education, which is based on the parish of the week. So it's beautiful. You can get it today. English, Hebrew, Feldheim printed a version of English. So you can get it today. And it goes through the whole Torah. Every parasha brings down the mitzvot and the parasha. And over there, he brings down an introduction. The introduction is... The Sefer Achinuch says there are six mitzvot we can do 24-7. There are six mitzvot a person can do without moving out of their chair. Six mitzvot a person can do without budging out of their armchair just by thinking. This is beautiful because a person can do mitzvot just by thinking. What are these six mitzvot? Number one, Ani Hashem. To know there's a God. To know there's a God. That's number one priority. We have to know there's a God. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu said at the beginning of Hashem told Moshe, the beginning of Pasha Fa'era. Ani Hashem, remember, I am God. I am watching. I am watching human history. And I have the power to interfere. Now, unfortunately, Hashem does not interfere directly today. But we pray every day, Bezrat Hashem. Hashem should do miracles to us like Hashem did to the generation of the coming out of Egypt, Hashem should, we need that, we need that spark. More than ever, we need those miracles. 
But those miracles are herald in the messianic era. There's no question about it. That's the miracles Hashem is saving to the last. To herald the messianic era, there will be tremendous miracles. We will see that we'll be worthy of seeing these miracles. Anyway, what do we mean, Hashem? You have to know. Every single Jew has to know and think. 24-7. There is a God. Number two. One God. One God. There's only one God. Number three. There's no other God. So three things straight away, without even blinking, we can do three mitzvot. Let's do it now. These three mitzvot. Number one is, there's a God. I believe in a God. Number two is, there's only one God. There's no other God. Number three is, there's no one else. So three mitzvot. A person can do straight away. Number four is to love God. Number five is to fear Hashem. And number six is, don't go after your heart, which is idolatry. And don't go after your eyes, which is immorality. That's very important. These are mitzvot a person can do without moving off their chair. We just sit about it, think about it. So amazing. We can do these mitzvot. This is what Hashem is telling Moshe. I am Hashem. You have to believe there's one God. Not just believe, but know. A person's going to bring God into their lives. We have to know God. We have to feel God. We have to touch God. We have to think God. That's what we have to do. That's how we touch God. We don't touch God by touching God. We can't touch God. You can touch God in your brain. You can think about God all the time. And think about your encounters with Hashem. You can think about, I'll tell you, miracles. I had a miracle happen to me like two weeks ago. And I don't I don't advertise this. Uh, I don't want people talking about me, so I'm not really going to advertise this. But a miracle was that I got something for nothing. Hashem gave me a present. Hashem gave me a prayer. I'm, I'm, I can't believe it myself. I can't believe that the system in Israel is gorgeous. It's, I've never seen this before. It, it works like clockwork. It's like something happened to me. Obviously, I don't know if it's the real Israel or just Hashem's Hashgacha. So I gotta see, you got to see these things happen and then say, you know what? This is Hashem. This is Hashem. Look, it's no way. These things don't happen to every person. Anyway, so Baruch Hashem. Thank God. You have to keep on thanking Hashem. So number one is to know there's a God. Number two is there's no other God. Number three is there's only one God. Number four is love God. Number five is to fear God. And number six is don't go after your heart, your eyes. Don't think idolatry and don't think immorality. Very important. Pure mind. Hashem loves people with pure minds. It's all hard to have a pure mind today. All the media around us. Try your best to think about just purity, Hashem. One God, there's no other God. I love God. How do you love God? And the answer is we have to work on it. We have to learn how to love God. And we start with other people. Start with loving you know, your spouse. Start with loving your children. Start with loving your neighbors. Start with loving other people. Start with loving converts and strangers. And then work on, start loving the creator of everything. As we understand, we'll all get to that level. Fear God. Oh, that's, uh, you know, there's no shortage of fear. Hashem, Hashem has many ways of, and we're seeing it today. October 7th was like the biggest slap in the face. That's the fear of Hashem. We should really have fear of Hashem. Anyway, so we have to think. Hani Hashem. I am Hashem. It's something we have to think about every time. Every time you wake up. I am Hashem. Hashem is the one behind us. Hashem is the power that gives us everything we have. And we have to think about it. Six times, six things we have to think about constantly. 24-7 we get with sport. 24 7, uh, every second of the day, think about these things. You're getting, you're getting a reward, reward for this. So the Jews did, want, did not want to come out of Egypt. Why not? Yechezkel, the prophet Ezekiel. Unfortunately, Ezekiel was uh, Kohen, who was taken into captivity in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, after the destruction of the first temple. And over there, 
uh, he, he, he became a prophet, he was a prophet. And the Gemara asks, how can you be a prophet outside Israel? And the answer is that the prophecy starts in Israel. It continues outside Israel. The only exception to this rule was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu got a special prophecy even outside Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu was a different level prophet. He was a, he was the only prophet that Grammon says there will never be a prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu. No one, no other prophet can ever contradict the prophecy of Moses. He was on a different level completely than any other prophet. And look what Ezekiel says: the Book of Yehezkel, chapter twenty, verse five. Thus says the Lord Hashem, on the day I chose Israel, I raised my hand in oath for the seed of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I raised my hand for them saying, I am Hashem, your God. This is exactly what the parasha of Ahira starts with. He tells Moshe, I am Hashem. And I sought out for them a land that flows with milk and honey. And I said to them, now this is part is missing from our parasha. It's missing from the Chumash. Yecheskel is filling in the blanks of the parasha. What did Hashem tell us? What's the message to us, to us? Every man, cast away your detestable idols. Do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Hashem, your God. Now this is missing from the parasha. It says, I am Hashem. It doesn't tell us what the other part was. Yecheskel fills in the blanks. He says, throw away your idols. Now what was the, what Moshe Rabbeinu said, they didn't listen to him. What does it mean they didn't listen to him? So Yahasko fills in the blanks. But they rebelled against me and did not want to listen to me. No man of them cast away the detestable idols of their eyes. They did not forsake the idols of Egypt. So I thought to pour out my wrath upon them, to spend my anger on them in the midst of the land of Egypt. And look what it says. Hashem wanted to destroy us in Egypt. But instead of which... I acted for the sake of my name, Hashem says. I acted for Kiddush Hashem. Please, Hashem, just like you acted for Kiddush Hashem, please, Hashem, is a, you have to act for Kiddush Hashem today as well. Don't let the nations of the world look at us and say, what idiots we are. We're fighting this war 105 days. Where has it got us? Hashem, you have to make Kiddush Hashem. So just like make Kiddush Hashem in the midst of the land of Egypt, Hashem says, I did not pour out my wrath on them in the midst of the land of Egypt, but I acted for the sake of my name. So I should not be desecrating the eyes of the nations in whose midst they were. Before the eyes, I made myself known to them, promising to take them out of the land of Egypt. Everyone knew. Abraham Abinu, Yitzhak, Yaakov had this promise. They're going to be slaves in a foreign land, and I'm going to take them out. Everyone knows that. And this is a prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu uses all the time. Why are you going to punish them? The golden calf episode. You promise them you've got to take the land of Egypt. What are, people, what are the nations of the world going to say about you, Asher? They're going to say you have no power. That is Hashem. That is desecration of God's name. Hashem says you. We have to tell Hashem all the time. You have to please Hashem. You're the one. You said you made these promises. Now you have to fulfill these promises. Otherwise, it's going to be a desecration of your name. Hashem, don't desecrate your own name. You have to do Kiddush Hashem. When the Jews are victorious, it's a Kiddush Hashem. There was no bigger Kiddush Hashem than Six Day War. Six Day War was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And we want more Kiddush Hashem. Hashem, give us Kiddush Hashem. So that's how the parasha starts off. My era, I am Hashem. Yehazgo fills in the blanks. Take out, destroy your idols. But the Jews didn't destroy their idols. And Hashem says, I was going to get angry. I was going to punish them. But I didn't punish them. Why? Because of Kiddush Hashem. And Bezrat Hashem, this will stand for us. In our, in our future, in our uh, troubles, the idea of Kiddush Hashem.
Now, what's also interesting is Ani Hashem, Hashem says in Egypt, it's the first words of the Ten Commandments. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Our belief in God is based not on creation. Our belief in God is based on actual events that we had a part in. B'nai Israel took part in. We were all there. We all went through out of Egypt. Our belief is based on knowledge we saw with our own eyes, not in the creation that we didn't see. So very important. I am Hashem. You're going to see me in action. Hashem, this is, you know, that's a time in history that we saw God in action. And we had, we saw 10 plagues. We saw 10 plagues. What does that mean? We saw 10 plagues. Well, the two parashiot, Bo, Vaera and Bo, there's seven plagues in Vaera and three plagues in Bo. So with this Shabbat, we're going to have three plagues in our parasha. And where, what does that mean? Why 10 plagues? Why, why didn't God just give one? You know, Hashem, why do you play around with Egypt? You played around with that. Why did Hashem play around with Egypt? But not just play around with Egypt, he played around with us as well. The plagues took 10 months. Each plague was one month. Three weeks, Hashem warned Pharaoh. Warning after warning after warning. The fourth week, bang. Plague, Makkah, Makkah is a blow. Second plague, three weeks, warning, 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 warning. Fourth week, Makkah. Until we get to Pesach when the Jews left. That was the last plague of the uh, first firstborn. So we're going to talk about these 10 plagues. Each plague the last of the month, which means one week plus three weeks warning. Three weeks warning, one week plague. Three weeks warning, one week plague, like clockwork, 10 months of plagues. Now, why 10 plagues? We said, what? so the answer is that Hashem wants to show his power over every facet of creation. This is a very important point. If Hashem would have done just one plague, he would have said, oh, he only has power in that area. He has no power in the other area. Where do we see this? We actually see this in the story of Titus. Titus was a Roman emperor who destroyed, before he was emperor, he was the general of the army. The victorious army of the Jews um, destroyed the, the second temple. He, and he, it says he was carrying away all the booty from the second temple. The golden menorah, the table, the, the, uh, the, uh, there was no ark, but he had everything here to find all the gold vessels of the temple carried away. He carted away on a boat on the way to Rome. And on the way, there was a terrible storm. And the boat is going to sink. And Titus rolls his eyes to the heaven. He says, Hashem, I know you only have power in water. Because you killed the Egyptians in water. Sisera and his troops, you killed in water. And now you're going to kill me in water. You don't have power anywhere else. You have power. You're a god of the, of the, of the sea. So we see this idea that if Hashem would just show his power in one area, he would say he just has power in one area. Hashem had to show his power over the whole gamut of human, of uh, physical powers. The sea, the land, the wind, the air, the, the, the storms, the, the ice and the fire. We're going to see how Hashem shows his power. So that's Hashem had to show his power in every, every area of power. So this, let's talk about that. The plagues also, now Hashem created the world with 10 sayings. And we talked about this. We've had it. It's based on the Pirkei Avot, 
Hashem created the world ten sayings to give the righteous to keep the world alive, which was created in ten sayings. They give more reward, ten times the reward. If Hashem created the world in one saying, we'd only get one tenth of the reward. Hashem created the world in ten sayings, we keep the world alive, and therefore we get ten times the reward. That's what the Mishnah says, Avod. And here we're going to talk about how these ten sayings are related to the ten plagues. What happened was, the world forgets. Hashem is the creator. We forget. We also forgot. This generation raised in evolution is forgotten. Hashem is the creator of the world. We have to get back to our roots. God is the creator of the world. And how do we know? There were ten sayings. Uh, Torah tells us the ten sayings. Yeah, let it be this, let it be this, let it be this. And Hashem, over time, people have forgotten about God. People forgot about creation. And God is now going to reveal these ten sayings through the ten plagues. So how does he do that? Let's go through them one by one. The first plague, the water of the River Nile. By the way, the River Nile, Pharaoh believed. Pharaoh, Pharaoh believed. Pharaoh not just believed himself as the God of the Nile. He proclaimed himself to the whole world as the God of the Nile. The Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. Uh, so here we have already, we have this connection between water and blood. The phrase is lifeblood. The lifeblood of the land of Egypt was the water of the Nile because Egypt never got rain. Egypt was run on a series of floods coming from the water of the river Nile, which overflowed. And it was, it was the, the water was put into, into, uh, into little tribulates and water, they water the land of Egypt. Right? The, the water from the Nile basically gave life to Egypt. The water of the Nile was the blood of Egypt. And Pharaoh was the god of this river Nile. He was the god of the Nile. And now what happened is, the first, one of the first sayings in the Torah says, the earth was unformed. You look at Bereshit chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Here we are. The first, one of the first parts of the Torah is this waters over there. God's Spirit is hovering over the source. The waters, water is the source of life. It is the source of creation. And God's Spirit is hovering over it. So the first plague, Pharaoh claims to be the God of the Nile. Hashem says, yeah, I'm going to turn your God into the blood of Egypt. This is the real blood of Egypt. Egypt is going to bleed blood. The river Nile is going to bleed blood. So you're going to have to remember that I am the God of water. I am the God, the Spirit of God hovered over the water. I created water. Number two, you see again, Hashem is attacking the God of Egypt. The God of Egypt was a Nile. Number one God. There's plenty of gods. Don't worry. Egypt is where they have plenty of gods. They, they didn't just believe in one God. That's Judaism. And what happened is, God said, let the water swarm with living creatures. That Bereshit, chapter 1, verse 20. And uh, the water swarms with living creatures from the Nile. The second plague, frogs come out of the river Nile. So Hashem is showing us living creatures came out of the waters. You don't believe in it? Well, you're going to see it in action. The frogs are going to come out of your God, your river Nile. Number three. Torah says in Breshit, in chapter 1, verse 11, let the earth give forth grass. God created grass evolving from the earth. And the third plague involves the same earth 
This time it was lice and not grass. The lice came out of the earth. Plague number three. Lice is telling us about this creation that God made. That grass came out of the earth. You don't believe it? Look. These insects are coming out of the earth. The lice. Number four. God created the beast of the earth after its kind. And the cattle after its kind. And everything that creeps on the ground. Well, we forgot about that. Humanity forgot about it. Pharaoh forgot about it, but Hashem is going to remind him of the fourth and the fifth plagues. A mixture of wild animals and a plague on the cattle. Again, who is the creator of cattle? Who is the creator of the animals? Hashem has to remind us, I am God. I am the creator. Number six, the earth, which was after water, the source of all physical creation until now, with a sixth plague, there was dust over the land of Egypt. Dust was thrown up by Moshe and Aaron. They threw up the dust and it became boils, Shechem, boils over the land of Egypt. Every man and every beast in Egypt was covered with boils. Boy, that's painful. That's in chapter 9, verse 9 in the book of Exodus. And number seven, Hashem created heavens in the midst of the waters, dividing the waters from the waters. Right? So there's waters and water, heavens above, heavens below, the waters, a little bit of. They found uh, the space and the other space, a little bit of drop in it. So water, whatever it means, it's, uh, there's clouds, there's water below. And that's in, in Breshit, chapter 1, passage 6 to 8. And Moshe extends his hands up to that very heavens, caused it to rain down giant hailstones that produced the seventh plague. So the fact that there's water above comes back to haunt Pharaoh. That these waters came down as hay, giant hailstones, where there was a combination, the Midrash says, of ice and fire. And that is the power of God. God can produce ice and fire together, and the ice doesn't melt, it just comes down with a fire. That's amazing. Number eight, the earth, which has given for birth, uh, birth to living creatures, now causes the face of the earth to be filled with locusts. And locusts ate up every grain in Egypt. Number nine, we know the famous saying in right beginning of Breshit, chapter one, verse three, Genesis. Let there be light. Well, number nine is the plague of darkness. If you don't remember who created light, there's going to be darkness. If you don't create, Hashem has to reveal to us he's the creator of the light. Number 10, the 10th plague is the antithesis of the creation of man. So number 10 let there be man. Man should be created. Well, the tenth plague is man has to die. Bechorot. The firstborn of Egypt had to die to prove Hashem is the one who gives life. Now, we know this so well today. We have to remember this all the time. Hashem is the one who gives life. Israel Hashem will give us all life and give the soldiers life and give everyone in Israel that Israel should protect us with his life. So, we had over here a double mission. Uh, Moses has given a double mission. Number one, to Pharaoh, allow B'nai Israel to worship God in the desert. Number two, B'nai Israel, you have to recognize God and fulfill the covenant. So on the one hand was freedom of religion from Pharaoh, we want freedom of religion. And unfortunately from the Jews, we want freedom from religion, not freedom for religion. You know, this, it's amazing how for hundreds of years, Jews have fought for freedom of religion. And when it was granted to them, now we want freedom from religion. It's such an irony. But anyway, we, we have to, we have to, we're the people of the book. We have to just come back to our, our roots. We have to come back to our roots and be faithful to our roots and faithful to the covenant with God. There's no question about that. We have to come up. Okay. So now 
What is the first mitzvah in this parasha? This is amazing. The first mitzvah given to Am Yisrael. Hashem gives the first commandment to the nation of Israel. The most unexpected commandment. This is amazing. You know, today I was busy after our first opportunity to do a bracha on the moon. We, we have a bracha on the moon. Can you imagine? We have a bracha for everything. We have a bracha even on the moon. On the new moon, Friday we make the bracha on the seventh night after Rosh Chodesh, Ashkenazim after the third night, different opinions. But if you go out tonight in Yushalayim, you Kodesh, a beautiful night, clear night, it's a beautiful, spectacular new moon, and it's a bracha to bake on the new moon. What's the first mitzvah given to the Jews? You'll never believe it. It's the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. The mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon. Now Moshe Rabbeinu had no idea how to do this. Midrash says Hashem had to take him outside and show him examples of this new moon and fire, whatever that meant. That means he visualized it. Hashem had to visualize it for him. This is the where the moon is facing this direction. It's an old moon when it's facing this direction. It's a new moon. And the moon goes through the phases, all the different phases. What's the point of this mitzvah? The first mitzvah is Rosh Chodesh. What does that mean? Now, as slaves, a slave doesn't have time. A slave has no time for himself. A slave is at the beck and call of his master 24-7. There's no Shabbat for a slave. And he's not uh, a slave before the Torah was given. After the Torah was given, you know, even slaves get to rest after Shabbat. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what the Romans couldn't really believe. You know, Jews had this, this Torah they follow. Even slaves go to rest on the seventh day. That's amazing. Why Rosh Chodesh? The answer is slaves don't have time. But free people have time. And what do we do with our time? So here the Torah is telling us, the first mitzvah is, when you leave slavery, is sanctify your time. This is a very important idea. Take your time, and time is something that never comes back. Sanctify your time. Make sure your time is spent doing things which are purposeful and valuable and precious. This is a very, very important idea. Take your time and sanctify your time. Very, very important. Take your time. I'm going to say a few times. Take your time to sanctify your time. Rosh Kodesh. Sanctify the new moon, which is months of the year calculated by the moon, which is time. Sanctify. Don't waste time. Because hell is immortality of purposelessness. Hell, the worst thing you can do is be no purpose in life. Purposelessness. How many people today have no purpose in life and therefore they get depressed because there's no purpose? And usually very wealthy people, spoiled kids, there's no purpose in life and therefore they throw it away. They become suicidal. And that's hell. Hell is eternity of purposelessness. Can you imagine what kind of punishment that is? Hashem said, I'll give you back. You are purposelessness in your life. After death, you're going to find purposelessness. That's the worst thing. So anyway, so we should try and live purposeful lives. The first given mitzvah to B'nai Israel when they came out of Egypt was, in fact, it was given to them in Egypt, is the mitzvah to sanctify time, to, to make sure we spend time, which is a life, the purposeful, holy, good man. That's something which we have to do. Okay, so that is in this week's parasha, the mitzvah, the first mitzvah is Rosh Chodesh. Very, very powerful mitzvah. Now, I want to go back a little bit to the ninth plague. The ninth plague was darkness. And the Torah uses this very strange language. They could feel the darkness. They could feel it. It was like 
you could cut it with a knife. It was it was it wasn't like regular darkness. It was a thick kind of fog, foggy darkness. You could feel it like a fog. The darkness of Egypt was a deeper darkness. It was so thick. The whole of Egypt came to a halt. They couldn't see each other. And that's something which we have to talk about. But the Midrash says they couldn't even get up and, and move around. Whoever was standing left standing up. Whoever was sitting left sitting down. And this continued for three days until Pharaoh calls Moshe. Now Moshe, the Jews, it says, had light in all their houses. The Egyptians had this thick darkness. They couldn't move. They couldn't see each other. And this is a very important point. It's a spiritual point. Where is spiritual darkness is when you can't see your fellow man. When there's no connection between people, that is true spiritual darkness. I may see you and you may see me, but there is no understanding of the other. There's no empathy. The Midrash in uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 2 says, this was darkness from the original Tohu Vabohu. The whole world was when Hashem created the world, was the first line was Tohu Vabohu. There was emptiness, barrenness. This darkness of Egypt was like barrenness. The world was empty. Society, with all its advancements, can reach a stage of disaster, formlessness, anarchy, in a spiritual sense. No God or too many gods. Now, you know, it's a beautiful story. I don't have it. It's a true story that may never have happened. What is the true story is someone held up a gun to someone else in New York City. And he says, and the guy says, what do you want? He says, you want my wallet? You want my money? What do you want? I said, no, he says, I just want someone to talk to for a few minutes. <laughs> you know, this, people today are so lonely. Why? Because we don't relate to each other. And this is happening in marriages. There's no communication. Communication, why? Because it's full of darkness. You can't, even though you can see the light, you can't see the other person. You can't see anyone. It's only me, me, me. E egocentricity, very important, this idea. Spiritual darkness is an interesting Jewish law, which sheds some light on this part of the pun. What is considered day and what is considered night? When is the earliest time you can read the Shema? What is the earliest time you read the Shema? So it gives a few examples. Number one is when there's enough light outside to see the difference between the chelet and lavam, which are two strings on the seseet, the blue and the green and the white. Both the chelet and karti, blue and green. Finally, the Talmud says, enough light to recognize a person you don't really know very well that you vaguely know. If there's enough light to recognize someone you vaguely know, that's the earliest time you can say Shema. I think it's a very important message over here. Day is when we can see each other. Night is when we can ignore each other. The darkness, Midrash continues, was the darkness of Gehenom. The darkness of hell, whatever that means. The place of misspent eternity of purposelessness. That's Gehenom. Gehenom is eternity of purposelessness. How thick was the darkness, the Midrash says? As thick as a gold coin. It's a, it's a wild imagery, right? The darkness is as thick as a gold coin. The gold makes us blind to each other. That's an amazing idea. Running after the gold and ignoring other people. But the Torah tells us that Jews had light. But Moshvotam in their dwelling places, their homes, must be worthy of living places of light. We must fight the battle to redeem Jewish life back from the public places. We must fight to put Jewish life back into our homes. That's where the light should be. The Midrash says, Meshvotam, also refers to the houses of the Egyptians. Whenever the Jews went in, they would fight. We have to rebuild the confidence of what happens in our homes and what happens 
in the outside world, we have to give the light to the outside world as well. To be a Jew is to give light, morality and ethics to the world. You know, every Friday night we light like candles at our houses, to give light to our houses. And then if you can sit with your children and sing songs and talk to the Torah, that's light, that's spiritual light in the house. So very, very important idea. Kiddush Hashem. So time is to be sanctified. He says the word Chodesh, the new moon, and the word Chadash are related. The new moon is Chadash, new is Chadash, Chodesh is month, the Chodesh is the new moon, the Chadash. Chodesh and Chadash, same letters, it's a renewal. We're talking about renewal. You know, it's interesting because of the last past years, everyone's talking about renewal. And rejuvenate, to renew and revitalize ourselves. The Zohar compares the Jewish people to the moon. We increase and we decrease. We have our ups and downs. We have our ups and downs and give light to the nations by reflecting the Torah, which is the moon, reflecting. We reflect the Torah. Torah is the sun. We reflect the Torah. With the Jewish people reflects the Torah. We go up and we go down like the moon, but we never disappear completely. We're always there. The Jews are there, however bad history is. We will always be there to guarantee. We have the guarantee of God that we will always exist as rather Shem, and we'll get stronger, not weaker. And therefore, we, when the Gemara says, when you bless the moon, it's like you're accepting the Shekinah. What does that mean? You're accepting the presence of God. What does that mean? Just as by the crossing of the sea there was revelation, so too by the blessing of the moon there's a kind of revelation. Now, this is amazing. Uh, Diana Aaron Troy was one of the Diana in London. He says, why is this astronomical event, which is a predictable event, compared to greeting God? Why is saying the blessing of the new moon, which is so predictable, said, um, on the seventh day of the month, or third day of the month, from the seventh to the fifteenth, or the third to the fifteenth, why it's such a predictable astronomical event? Why is there bracha? What's so special about it? Why is it like greeting God? So the answer is, in Judaism, some mitzvot are called Testimonies, est-edot. Testimonies, they give witness to historical events that happen. For example, Shabbat is giving testimony to the creation of the world, and and also remembering the coming out of Egypt. And Tefillin also, it's like also talks about coming out of Egypt. You remember it's Tefillin, that God is the king of history, that he took us out of Egypt. He's also the creator of the world. God is the king of history and creator of the world. There's two aspects to God. There's one God with two aspects. He created the world and he also is ruling the world and history. The Malvim explains there's a verse in Hallel, which we say in Hallel. Beautiful. David King David Psalms. Ram al-Kol Goyim Hashem. Hashem is above all the nations. Al-Shamayim his honor is in the heavens. So for the nations of the world, Hashem's abode is limited to the heavens. According to this view, Hashem created the world, but does not care about it. Ramal called Hashem. Hashem is above the nations. His glory is in the heavens. However, the Jewish view is based on the next verse. King David is <laughs> not the only verse. There's another verse straight after it. King David says, Mika Hashem Who is like God, our God? Who raises up the low Mashpili the road and comes down to see Bashamain Ubaris? He's the God of heaven and earth. He's not just the God of heaven, he's the God of heaven and earth, which is the God of creation, 
also a God of interference. But Rav Hashem, we will see the interference of Hashem. Hashem should not just walk away, but interfere. Um, we know the famous uh, parable that if you walk one one day's journey away from God, God will walk two days' journey away from you. Midah connected midah. And that's what happened in the story of uh, Purim, Hester Panim, at the end of the Torah, Parsha Bayelech, this idea of Hashem's face is hidden. He doesn't interfere in history as much as he did before, or probably doesn't at all. But we need that interference. We need that. And we read these parashiot. Now we have to remember this is the God of interference. And Yidke Vavke, God of power in history, the control of history. Hayahovev, yeah, he was, he is, he will be. And Moshe is warning to Pharaoh, Pharaoh could accept this. God is, that's what it means. Hashem heart and Pharaoh's heart. Just the name, just thinking about the name that God was, is, will be unchanging, all-powerful. Pharaoh could not accept that. So, uh, so we say blessing on the moon. How is that receiving the presence of Hashem? And the answer is because we are acknowledging that God is the ruler of all these things. Even though we can't see them, we see the moon, but we have to see Hashem behind the moon. We have to see the power of God in natural events. And this way, we accept the power of Hashem. Israel Hashem, all of us will have a great week. Shabbat Tov. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.